0: Hey, everyone, it's me again, and I'm here again with Neil, our fabulous Neil, friend Neil, who's uh, previously indulged me on my little um, small town, you know, 30 people podcast. (laughs) And uh, thank you so much, Neil, for doing this. I really appreciate it.
1: Happy Um, to be here.
0: OK, so today I what I wanted to talk about and um, why I thought of Neil is, you know, for people who are who do actually, you know, the five of you that listen is um, uh, Stephanie and I were just recently talking about step two, which, of course, brings up the whole concept of, you know, <clears throat> came to believe in a power greater than yourself. And it kind of made me think about um when you come into 12-step and you are not Christian um, and you have no intention of becoming Christian, um, you're not opposed to it, but it's just not your path. And so Neil, I, as you know, I sort of emailed you um, as a wonderful uh, Jewish guy, And wanted to just kind of interview you about you know was that an issue was it not an issue what was it like is it different in your area like what if you can sort of focus on that aspect of like coming into 12 step and what that was like being a non-christian
1: okay well I mean, it's a, I've been thinking about this, you know, since you asked me, I gave it some thought and it's kind of ironic because I find that uh, having come into AA first, when I got into OA, I was surprised at how many people relative to the total population were actually Jewish people. And, uh, you know, I thought, oh, food, well, sure, why not? You know, it's like, it's, 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 while you know, like the, you know, the, the, cre- the, the, uh, the theme of all Jewish holidays is the same. They tried to kill us, we won, let's eat. That's basically the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but you know, it's interesting that you asked a question because I grew up Jewish, but I was pretty secular. And so I didn't have like a, an orientation. Uh, granted, when I first came into twelve step, you know, I, I was in Boston and people say, and then you get on your knees and you ask for help. And I thought, well, I can't kind of do that. But then I thought, you know, don't really do anything. So, you know, and, and I, I was hitting my first bottom. And, uh, and so I did what they said. And, you know, I noticed that there was definitely a correlation between the times when I, you know, humbled myself, you know, physically and um, you know, a humble posture. And then I asked God for help and that, you know, that there was a weight that was kind of lifted. There was a definite correlation between the days when I remembered to do that or desired to do that and the days when you know, my life seemed more manageable. So, um, and, and, um, and so when I came into OA, you know, I still wasn't really a religious person. And um, and in fact, I came into the program because I met a non-Jewish woman who was very much the blonde shiksa, like girly, you know, who was like definitely not a Jewish personality, uh, you know, an Irish girl. And um, But, you know, I, I, I learned about her, you know, how she clung to her relationship with her higher power. And it wasn't a, a religious power, higher power. So, um so that was my first exposure to having power greater than myself, and and uh, ironically enough, after I'd been in AA for a while, um, I ended up meeting a woman who came into AA through me, but she also came into OA, and now I had um, someone who, when I came into OA, was there to opened the door for me. Right. And uh, she, she ended up converting to become Jewish. And um, she was sponsoring an Orthodox woman. And so when she, you know, they were doing like this weekend retreat and she was kind of like the old timer. And she watched these 20 Orthodox women go through the Sabbath, you know, praying together and kind of dressed up in this very kind of proper, regal, beautiful way. And, and it just kind of caught her and that was really the beginning of her becoming jewish and kind of bringing me with her back into the faith of my youth um, so i'm an observant jewish person now but it was my it was very clearly my my um, 12 step spirituality and the rigorous nature of my you know kind of 90 day oa mm-hmm. way and measure thing that enabled me to look at a faith that had a lot of rules and a lot of rituals and a lot of stuff. And uh, so I was able to, I I was ready to embrace a rigorous lifestyle that involved commitment and, and ritual as in, you know, when this happens, we all say this at the same, you know, like I used to think, oh, that's stupid. That's like for sure. Right. You know, I'm not. Yeah. So that, you know, that was my orientation. So for me, becoming a more religious person wouldn't have happened had I not learned about what spirituality was like at a 12-step fellowship. Yeah. So I consider myself fortunate that, and when I used to read the big book about people returning to the religion of their upbringing, I thought, not me, you know. I was like, right. go to Hebrew school, turn thirteen, get bar mitzvah, and see you later. You know, that's right, right. what it was like. Yeah. So that's what it was like for me. So, um you know, I'm grateful that it happened in the order that it did, and 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 you know, that I would meet two women, one who brings me into twelve step fellowship, and then one who wasn't Jewish, who comes into a twelve step fellowship, and like, you know, for a convert, they believe that her Jewish soul was like embedded in her and she had to travel a greater distance to come home, you know, to find her way home. And so, you know, they treat the convert with a tremendous amount of respect. And in the Jewish faith, as it turns out, you know, the, the, the Messiah, the, the, you know, the, the, the savior is going to come from the family of King David and King David is the grandson of a non-Jewish woman, a convert. Yeah. So like there are, you know, when people who weren't born Jewish, who became very prominent figures in Jewish history. So, you know, it's just a very interesting intermingling of like, it doesn't really matter where you start out. It's where you end up, you know. Right. And isn't that the way 12 step recovery is anyhow? you know.
0: Yeah. And um, then um, did you have any. um feelings at all, you know, whether at whatever time around, um, you know, not being Christian and having to read a bunch of Christian prayers, or did you come up against anything like that?
1: There was a time when I became, um, strong enough in my, in my Jewish, um, roots that when they would close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer I would just not say it. I would hold hands or whatever when they said it and then I just wouldn't say it. Right, And um, I didn't have a problem with it but then it became more popular I think to you know certainly in OA some of the you know kind of earlier hardcore meetings would still close with the Lord Prayer and then they kind of in, at World Service they would come up with suggested closings or suggested prayers and, and it became a matter of you know um, you know, meetings having business meetings and saying, you know, these this is going to make certain people feel, you know, uncomfortable. Right. And do we really want to do that? And by and large, they said no. And even yeah. in AA, I think, to some extent, you know, they, you know, they, they were more conscious, just like yeah. they were with smoking. You know, I mean there was a point where it was so funny there used to be like smoking sections in an AA meeting. I Meanwhile, well, that was like the guy five seats next to you was in the smoking section. You know right.
0: That's kind okay. of like resonance.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's the thought that the counts. Smoking
0: section in restaurants, it's like you know, yeah, all the smoke's gonna stay over there. <laughs> you know,
1: it's not... Exactly right. Yeah. Well, you know, planes, and they have that too. We used to fly people. Some people could smoke, right? So yeah, it was kind yeah. of goofy. Oh, totally. But you know, so so uh, you know, I always respected. You know, if it wasn't there. If the program wasn't there in the form that it was at the time, you know, that would have been it for me. I would have right. had a very unhappy yeah. life. And so I always kind of respected the gal that brung me, so to speak. And, yeah. you know, even, in you know, when I came into AA, I was mostly, you know, kind of a stoner pothead. And, and yeah. I was always very careful about the way that I talked about my, my method, you know, my drugs of choice, because I didn't feel like it was for me to provoke a response by, you know, I would call myself an alcoholic and an addict, you know, and and right. that was my, uh, the level of, of, you know, I felt like I was being within integrity to, you know, identify myself that way. But I was always respectful that, you know, I didn't want to create controversy from that. Um, did
0: you, um, when you first came in, do you re- have any recollection of like, first coming into your first AA meeting or the first time they did close
1: with the Lord's Prayer? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think there was such a a feeling of relief and comfort in that environment. Yeah. And, and I think my lack of commitment for anything Made yeah me less sensitive that I was doing something that was right you know out of my uh yeah. religion of my upbringing you know i I felt have,
0: to, and, right at that point yeah
1: you well, you know that. I think when you're listen, I'm a guy from New York, so it's like whatever I thought I was, I thought it with all my heart, you know and right 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 I was like a you know like a Jewish guy from new york and and i and i um you know, I always felt kind of um like, i like that. But then again, I think the outlier, you know, personality appealed to me. So I think I use it as a, a, to provoke, you know, but I will say later in life, you know, especially in more contemporary times, and now wearing a yarmulke when I walk around, I mean, I began to feel at times that I might put a baseball bat on rather than walk around wearing a yarmulke because they do felt like you know you're kind of a target you know and right. um, you know and and that I, you know that was that came to me later in life that I that I realized that people you know and this must be people of color walk around their whole lives like this you know right. like a right. cop comes over to you know they're driving their car and a cop swung over it's like I could be yeah. dead if I don't handle this you know I mean yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a lot of identification with that now as a you know, a Caucasian person living yeah. in a world where, you know, you have to argue till you're blue in the face that there's social injustice and not everybody's yeah. treated the same way, you know? Right. And I think there's, you know, I think between Jews and, and, you know, people of color, that there is a, a uh, familial and identification yeah. with one another. And and yeah. I feel very strongly about that yeah. now at a time when it looks like, you know, God knows what's the next thing that they could start, you know, outlawing. I mean, I, it, you know, I think interracial marriage is like totally up for grabs with, with the way things are going, those, <laughs> way know, things going, which is really just a bizarre thing to even stay out loud now. Yeah. So, you know, the fellowship was always so inclusive that that it didn't matter. In the end, it didn't matter what religion you were. Yeah. Because we kind of knew it wasn't kosher, yeah. so to speak, to, to be talking about, you know, Jesus or, yeah. you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, we both came into program on the coasts. So you're on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. And um, when I, you know, OA was not my first program, um, but all the programs that I came into, it was always God or higher power, period. Mm -hmm. You know, you never said a pronoun, you never said anything. And, And actually the very beginning, no one even said the word God. You know, when really? the that I came in and I now know that there's a, a, a large agnostic recovery community in the Bay area, but I didn't know. Cause you don't know. No one said the word God, you said HP, you said your higher mm-hmm. power. HP, mm-hmm. HP. And I remember the first time I heard God, and I've told this story before I was like, can you, can you do that? Like, is that allowed, you know? And I'll never forget, like, I, I was going to regular OA meetings in um, on College Avenue in Oakland. And uh, this this woman who was visiting or whatever, I don't know what the deal is. She wasn't a regular, but she was a great speaker. We were all whatever. And then she wanted to close with the Lord's Prayer. And it was like we were like, what? <laughs> it was really it was she rolled Interesting. In it she rolled with it but we were like uh you know and especially because you have to keep in mind this is Berkeley this whatever it's like no we're not doing that you know we didn't make her feel bad we just were like no we don't close with the Lord's Prayer here um Uh but it was very we didn't you know what I mean and then Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah the other side of that is is that when so there's that story right the Lord's Prayer I go to AA because you know I'm hitting bottom with sugar and I'm not getting the support I need in OA. So I start going to AA, they're saying God, they're using the he pronoun and they're closing with the Lord's prayer. I am like, my brain is on fire. And I knew that I had to get over it, right? Like I knew what the answer was, but I was so like, oh my God,
1: hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And actually what happened was, is that a woman got up, she told her story and in her story, she shared that she was Jewish, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And, you know, pretty, not, you know, orthodox, but pretty actively Jewish. She's leading the meeting. She gets to decide the closing prayer, right? Every person who leads gets to decide the closing Mm -hmm. prayer. She stands up and she's like, okay, so let's say the Lord's prayer.
1: I'm
0: like, <laughs> I need to talk to you. I'm not kidding. After the meeting, I went up to her and I was like, please help me. How do you, how did you get to be able to say the Lord's prayer? And she said, oh, I, I've never heard this prayer before. It's just an AA prayer to me.
1: Oh,
0: and interesting. that, and that just, that was perfect. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: That huh? was like, it did a little flip in my head, like, okay, this is just an AA thing. And it really did help. But again, you know, um, the other reason why I wanted to interview you about this is that um, I've told this story before too, but it's relevant to our conversation where, so that's you on the East Coast and me on the West Coast. Meanwhile, recently, meaning within the last 10 years, Someone who went to um, a regular AA meeting that I used to go to went somewhere in the South, and it's God and it's Jesus Christ.
1: Jesus, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, yeah. And, and, you know, what's interesting about that, Neil, is that, you know, if all the people there are Christian, you know what I mean? Like, okay, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. You know, I think that now that I've thought about it, it's, you know, this idea that you're not
1: protecting.
0: Like, it's great. Like there are five people in the room and they're all Christian,
1: fine, right? That's not the issue. You know, I, I'm not sure i go with that because I think that you're- Well, I'm you not done, are... well, hold on. But <laughs> so let me,
0: oh so, yeah. So they're all, but the thing that I'm stuck on is, is that, yeah, but you're not keeping OA or AA, whatever it is, out of Christianity. You're not, like if a newcomer or whatever, so now go ahead, what do you, What were you there? Yeah, to
1: right, that's what I'm saying, is I think we become the best practitioner of the program that we're in and the traditions in their infinite wisdom uh, did not want people to feel excluded. And in fact, whether you, you know, even something as personal as whether or not you belong here or not is entirely up to you. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's no real enforcement power. So it's, it's all about learning to get along with people who probably in many ways wouldn't have much to do with each other if they weren't in those rooms Yeah. and, uh, not wanting to engage in controversy. I mean, well, you know, talk about religion or sex or whatever it is, you know what I mean? So it's like, well, we're not going to really get into that, and uh, you know, your higher power is, is your conception of a higher power. and yeah. you know most of us who've, who've done the, the reading the history, historical readings understand that people came to that in their own way., yeah. And while there were a lot of common denominators, there was wisdom behind not yeah. making it be something um, you know, just like in the, this, the safety and anonymity.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, is, you know, includes that as a particular lightning rod, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, a group that wants to close with the Lord's Prayer so much that they are kind of, um, you know, uh, take umbrage at somebody that would want to change that are not really living in the spirit of, right. of, uh, of the traditions, you know, yeah. so. And, and you know, it's not like you're not living within the spirit. It's more like there's room for all of us here. And and if yeah. we're just a little bit more careful about the way we say things. Yeah. Um, you know, when I'm in a place right now where, I mean, I'm, you know, in January, I'll be in twelve September for 40 years. I mean, it's just how long? I didn't say. 40? 40. I came to AA in January of 1983. So it's wow. like, wow, that's a long time. And um, you know, in, in AA, it came in 1990, so that would be a long time. And I came into under Ernest anonymous like five years ago, right. and uh, I've had as profound, uh, it's had as profound an effect on my life as any yeah. other, you know, thing. Um, in fact, I was really blind to how that pathology, that stinking thing, had had corrupted a part of my life. Even as I was living a very joyful life in recovery and yeah, yeah. you know in OA for so long,
0: well, it's so, how, free, how free do you yeah. want to be? You know, every right, program exactly. offers you more freedom.
1: Right. Right. And right now, I'm in a position where what's really important is like the relation relational interactions that I have. You know, to what extent am I treating people with respect? Mm-hmm. Am I am I listening? Really listening to them? Am I do I demonstrate empathy, you know? Um, because I've always been very direct uh, and and not afraid to challenge people. But I think for people who came from backgrounds of trauma and stuff like that, it was very, you know, uh, destabilizing and, and didn't yeah. feel safe. And I didn't really get that. And I, I mean, I think you know this, but in May of last year, I had a bicycle accident where okay. I, flipped over the handlebars and I broke my neck and a a bone in my back and I needed a surgery. And I, you know, and then in the course of that, I learned that I had a early stage lesion in my lung and had to have a surgery to remove half my lung. And, and, um, you know, I, I kind of physically healed from it, but I, I was able to kind of feel what trauma felt like. Right. And it was as if I had been given glasses and could see, I could sit, you know, when people talked about their pain, I could see how I couldn't, I couldn't like wave a wand and make the physical, like the psychological effects of the physical trauma go away. Right. And, uh, you know, having talked about under the synonymous, it all happened at a time when I had been in program long enough that my life was enough back together that I had seventy thousand dollars in the bank, and I had never had, anything. and so for five months I could maybe work half a day. Work. Oh wow, wow! And I never had any of the economic insecurity because UA had healed that part of my life so much. Yeah. And and the other thing that I didn't see is that my wife and I just went through this, just this this very intimate partnership healing thing. And she actually had to put off having a back surgery because I had an emergency surgery. And then right. she had a very tough recovery for a like a, um, a fusion surgery in her back that didn't really go that well right away. So we were like, right. I went from being the patient to like taking care of her right. you know, inside of a few weeks. And it just was so healing for our relationship to go through this totally unscripted, right. crazy situation. Yeah, I had like six surgeries last year. I had my uh, cataract surgery and I had to repeat the surgery. I now had yeah. So all this stuff was happening and, and I could see, I just saw a lot of things, you know, being given a, a, a new lease on life. You know, why yeah. did this happen? Um, why did it happen that for the nine months before the accident I was working out and was in the best shape of my life at age 67 that I could endure a pretty serious accident that would discover this cancer that had it been undetected, probably would have had me in chemotherapy and yeah. really messed me up. Yeah. And I thought, this is so much bigger than me, everything that's yeah. going on. Yeah. And so it really changed the kind of gratitude that I had for the things that we learn, you know, to apply them in ways that were more like practical, like the tools. You know, I always thought the tools are like practical expressions of spirituality. You know what I mean? It's like you work the tools and you learn different things that help you not isolate, or or to um, grow your network and be active in a fellowship. And that it's the fellowship and the service that that grounds you and it and it, it and it deepens. You know the lessons that you learn. You know that that's all part of it. You can't just jump in get well and leave and make up for lost time you know that's right. that's selfish you know that's that's not the way we do things i mean not that we do things but you know what i mean it, it's that sense of altruism and social responsibility which is which often comes to people through religion so it kind of all circles back you know right um, you know but becoming a more observant jewish person one of the things about judaism is that um this is very interesting there's no hebrew word for history, that, that there's an oral tradition it, like, like, in, like in the Kabbalah, it says that the world is like a helix. It's not a circle. It's mm-hmm. a circle that goes you know, up and up right. and up And so that we le- relive the emotional component of whatever happened then <clears throat> so that we can experience it and it's part of it. our history. So the word that's closest to history is the same word for memory. Oh Which my I God. find fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what you're doing. You're not telling his story. You're telling my story so that when you have the Passover Seder, you're talking about when God took me out of Egypt, he redeemed me. Oh, and wow. we had this covenantal responsibility to take care of each other and to right. be a light among the nations. And so, you know, I just found that so compatible with what we do in program. But it took me back 3,300 years to my Jewish roots and I thought, oh this is in my DNA, you know yeah
0: well, let me be very
1: proud you know for that.
0: Let me interrupt here because there are two things that I want to try to remember. The first one is um, hold on uh, so the father Terry, one of his talks, he says, you know if you if you come to AA and you, and you find your higher power you know and then you go back to the religion of your youth if you're if you're aa higher power and your religion higher power if there's a conflict go with your aa higher power and then he mm-hmm. says and if you do that then you will actually understand that your childhood higher power was saying the same thing, and right. the other side. And what's in tandem with this is that Father Tom says, um, "If if you believe in an angry, punishing God, my first thought is is you had angry, punishing parents.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know that the idea that we we project onto." whatever our hours and that it, and that it's a it, recovery can help you break all that down get to the whole you know the part of god that you're like when people talk about you're like i don't get what you're talking about you're whatever right. it's like well right. your yeah. relationship with god is is not my experience mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like me if i suddenly said like you know, oh, parents are the best. You know what I mean? And I would be, you know, or if someone said that to me, I would be like, I don't, you're crazy. You know?
1: Yeah. No, but you, you're right. I mean, I think that's really, um, that is the truth. That 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 it, it it's it's like there's a, a a god within us that we struggle to identify with. But it's intrinsic to anything with a soul to feel connected to something. Right. You know, and that whether it's Buddhism or whatever, and it's a matter of attachments or to ego and ego deflation is is how you find the oneness or whatever. They're all basically pursuing the same thing. I I read a a Deepak Chopper book called How to Know God. Yeah. It talks about these different kinds of relationships that you can have. Yeah. Where in in the old days, when it was a hostile world, you know, your idea of God, it's like, get me that, you know, keep me safe. Right. And then it, you know, and as we evolved, you know, emotionally or intellectually, it became more of a co-creator, a, co- a part, co-partnership in creation that, yeah. you know, deflating ego opens up this whole quantum world of ideas and, yeah you know, manifesting different things. And, you know, yeah it's fascinating, but I think it's as real as anything.
0: Yeah. And again, you know, for anyone new listening, all my people know this is that I, I don't believe in God in the sense of ethical monotheism. I don't of any kind. Mm-hmm. I believe, yeah. But I, but because of 12 step, I can use the term God as a placeholder, you know, what mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like you believe in a power greater than yourself. I believe in a power greater than myself. And within the context of 12 step. Mm-hmm. I will say God. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Group of dames, sure. group of drunks, good orderly direction, uh, grace over drama is my latest that I heard that I thought yeah. was awesome. Yeah. It's only outside of 12 step that I will be careful not to say the word God because there's so gift
1: of good. desperation.
0: Gift you know? of desperation. Ooh, that's a great one. Gift yeah. of desperation. Yeah. But yeah. No, that and, is- it, and it's
1: so true that it's a practical interpretation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, my life sucks. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Whoever's listening. And you yeah. know what? That's all, you know, that shifting here, yeah, makes it irrelevant what it is outside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which I think is really ultimately the beauty of, of it. Yeah. You know? Because you have to you count yourself in. And, and I think, um, you know, like you said about the projection, I think the whole thing of of trust. Uh, trust, intimacy, you know, we have gone through things that have made it very hard to do that, whether it was unstable adult Mm -hmm. role models, whatever it was, and, you know, there's a reason uh, that we got stuck in terms of our childhood development, and and 12-step programs let us, gives us permission to explore that in another way, Yeah, so that we can kind of uh, uh, strengthen those atrophied spiritual muscles, you know, and develop trust, and heal. And then, yeah. and then it becomes, it, in most cases, it, yeah, I think, I think people like to do some learning around it, whether it's through meditation, yeah. you know, or some non-specific, you know, and, and to me, I think that's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. That, it, that it, um you know, in, in the Jewish faith, you know, Abraham as a, a young child, and he's, you know, his name yeah. is known in the other monotheistic faiths as, as the progenitor, basically, of the idea that there's one God. Yeah. And so yeah. This guy, like, created monotheism when he was a kid right. and his father was like a guy who sold idols and he was like yeah. you know he was like yeah. an embarrassment to his father and and he through this discovery opened up this thing that you know now there's billions of people in the world who like the idea of there being an infinite god like a, a yeah omniscient guided wisdom or whatever and then people you know uh, put their own personal take on it but it's, it's intrinsic to, to, you know, the difference between us and the animals is that we have the gift of, of, of free choice and thought that enables us to suppress our primal desires and to elevate ourselves. Right. And in, in religion, the difference between us and an angel is that an angel has a purpose. It yeah. would never seek to question God's will. But supposedly, in the Jewish faith, when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which is what they ate from, they did it because they wanted to be more godlike, so that when they did the right thing, God would be more pleased. Only within a very short time, it kind of compromised them so that unlike an angel that says, what does God want me to do, eating from the tree replaced the first thought in their head with, what do I want to do? right and what will the consequences of me be for doing what i do and what and then what would god want you to do right so it explained that it elevated the self above the need for god so that in god's you know and of course he punished he banished adam from eden and and um and he made giving birth a painful experience where it didn't used to be before and then man was going to have to not just have everything that he needed in the garden again but you have to work from the spread of his the the sweat of his brow to, to provide for himself and farm right. and so this perfect Id- idyllic existence got shattered by the pursuit of ego basically yeah i love the lesson because it's so much like addicts just like thinking i know what's right for me i know what's right for me you know, like when you're running into head- walls headlong. And then what do you learn? I need to be humble. I need right. to operate in a world where I where humility is going to help me. And we come into 12-step programs and have to surrender. Yeah. It's beautiful, you know, but it's very consistent with the lessons that most of the monotheistic faiths believe in, which is God gives us rules to help help us contain our baser instincts. So right. that we don't screw everything up. And when, when people say, how, if there's a God, how could he let this happen? Well, my theory, and this is what I tell people, is that when we exercise bad judgment or we do something mean at the expense of another person, it creates like a ripple effect. Yeah. And all the bad karma that's floating around in a world where people are so cruel to each other has consequences. And so when bad shit happens, it's not that God caused it. God just let it happen. We had the cumulative effect of making really bad decisions. And so when we become so discouraged that the world sucks, what does it do? It it makes people who want to believe in God come back to him. So that's kind of like, you know, he's constantly trying to have people exercise free choice to be closer to him. And, you know, 12-step program, I mean, it's basically, you know, our lives depend on, Learn it in a way of doing things, and that's yeah. why we do what we do.
0: Okay, so my parallel to that would be, you know, for the atheists and agnostics out there, mm-hmm. my experience that's similar is is that you you come into the rooms. Well, I'll just say I come into the rooms. I'm like I'm not. This doesn't work for me. It doesn't feel true for me. But what Mm -hmm. I do believe in is I do believe in um, the group of drunks or group of dames or a group of, you know, so I'm like, okay, the fellowship is my higher power. Now here's where you can get stuck. And I think you would agree with me on this is Mm -hmm. naming your higher power, identifying what, what you believe in. Absolutely. That's an important first step, but that is you haven't even left home plate. I mean, you haven't even gone in. Now you have to develop a relationship to your higher power. Naming it and pointing at it over there and going like, I believe in that. That's why the whole idea of like the joke of like, you can believe in a doorknob. You can believe in anything you want. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a joke. But unless you're going to develop a relationship to that quote doorknob, it's actually not. Step two and three, you know mm. what I mean. Came to believe in a power greater than yourself that could restore you to sanity. Mm. And my experience is it's it's the relationship to your higher power and the practice of developing that relationship um, that that restores you. You know, so right. you said the I
1: agree.
0: you said I agree. The, the return to him, and again, meaning like, okay, you come back to believe recognizing in your case that who God is and the relationship that you have with God. And for me, my experiences is my higher power is love, which is connection. And that is something that I experienced in the rooms. And so then what am I doing today that demonstrates that I am participating in this relationship to my higher power? Right. What are the? What, how am I doing that? And here's another way. It's literally well, like
1: answer that. I want to hear your answer yeah. to that question because I think by sublimating our, you know, by working on being alleviated of our character defects, we become more godlike yeah. in yeah. in in an altruistic sense. Yes. You know, to be more concerned with my fellows than I am with myself. You know, not to think less of myself, but to think of myself less often. That's, you know. Yeah. And that is a very holy, in fact, you know, when, when I, I knew you wanted to talk about this, I wrote down, the first thing I wrote down is, is nothing sacred? Because I think the attitude of the world at large, which is a very aspiritual world right now and yeah. much to our detriment, but that I think most people feel they should be able to do whatever they want. Right. And if you're fortunate enough to have enough people that think the same way, I know. then it doesn't really matter what everybody else thinks. But that's not really yeah. a formula that's going to make a happy world. Right. You know? So it's very important to emulate qualities that we would like to see, you know, um, you know, act the way you want the world to be, basically. And, right. and, and that that is a system that will produce a world that's going to, live in the solution, which is again in 12 step parlance. I mean, basically, right? I mean, it says in 12 steps in the AA 12 and 12, we choose to practice these steps so that we, and all those around us experience emotional recovery. That's one of the most powerful lines in that book. Well, the other thing in
0: in relation to that is, is that, you know, and I got to find the exact place, but you know, if you read the big book closely it's very clear that recovery requires two powers. It requires the power of the fellowship and the power of, uh, of a higher power that you believe in. And going mm-hmm. back to like, what am I doing today? What, it is the process of recovery that makes it so that I am able to be part of a fellowship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: To go from, like you said, being the outlier and enjoying being the outlier, which was Mm -hmm. definitely my position, although Mm -hmm. I didn't really enjoy it. I mean, part of me Mm -hmm. did, but I actually felt really like, why am I always in the margins in so many ways? You know, like, you know, there are just so many characteristics that it was like, oh, that's very unusual. Oh, you know, you know, so many ways. Right,
1: right.
0: But again, being... It says in
1: Step 2, twelve it's that feeling of anxious apartness that we could never surmount or understand. It's another encapsulated sentence from that book that says...
0: Can you say it again? We, yeah. I kind of... I, you, yeah,
1: it says it's that feeling of anxious apartness that apart. we, ne- we could never understand or surmount, I think is the way it yeah. says it. Let me get... But it's, you know, it's just one of those beautiful, beautiful, descriptive, like pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Like yeah. you can't wrap up a bigger shitty feeling in fewer words than that, you know? Yeah. So let me yeah. find it. I mean, but, yeah. you know, and those are the ones that always stuck with me that they, you know, in 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 Judaism, they talk about getting to the emmes. Like what's the core truth of it? The yeah. incontrovertible thing that you can hold on to and really, get anchored to and know that it will never let you down. And there's usually a lot of molecules yeah. flying around around yeah. it. But if you get right down to it and you get it in here, it yeah. makes you should feel better. And and yeah. that's how you know that it's the real deal.
0: Yeah. So going back to you know um, that believing in a higher power and and starting to act based on that belief. And again, it's the acting as if then I start to develop the skills so that I can connect to my fellowship. And then in mm-hmm. connecting to my fellowship, I get to experience the power of connection, which then I can then, it just expands my abilities, expands my yeah. capacity yeah. to love. It, it just, it all feeds on itself.
1: It's community, you know? It's like, we can't do this alone. Right. And my friend Marilyn would always call people God with skin, you know. Yeah, that, absolutely. That sometimes if you can't hear the big kahuna
0: saying yeah. it from
1: up high, yeah. you know, the 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 bad woman who's at a meeting with you, who you, if you're looking down your nose at, it turns out she's been sober for 30 years. And she's yeah. like the wisest person in the room. And you think, oh, yeah, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. And go put her right next to me to remind me
0: pay attention
1: because you don't know where the thing that's going to save your life is going to be coming from.
0: Yeah. Did you find it?
1: I'm working on it. I'm listening (laughs) though. This is my ADD brain, one of the
0: positives of it, but yeah,
1: I'll I'll find it.
0: I think going back again to the, this is a good place to sort of insert, develop, you know, there's one thing like, oh my, because this is what I did. I was like, oh, I believe in the group. And then that was it. Like I named it and then I was like, okay, let's do four, five, let's do six, seven. And then that, yeah, that took me a certain way, but it, but again, if I just stayed there, I would have missed the whole point. And this is when I started to learn about, you know, what a relationship is and relationship isn't just saying, oh, you're my friend. It's like, what am I doing that demonstrates that I actually feel that you're my friend and communicates to you that I'm your friend and that and that we're and then you have to reciprocate that and this is where I came up with the analogy of like it's sort of like it's kind of like three rooms but let's say three backyards okay Neil. So you've got one backyard and that's Neil's backyard. And then there's my backyard. And then there is, you know, if we lived closer and spent time together, there's a backyard between us, which is our relationship room. If I'm the only one in there, we don't have a relationship. If you're the only one in there, we don't have a relationship. So it's us being in there together. Now, the other thing, how this analogy or metaphor sort of expands itself is that's our garden, you know, that we work on together. And then I use the analogy that one person only can weed and the other person only can (laughs) water. And if one person is only weeding, the thing's going to die from lack of water. If one person's only watering, the weeds are going to kill all the flowers and the plants. So it's something that we have to work on together.
1: But it's the part- That brings up an interesting point. When in the Jewish faith, God made the Garden of Eden, when it was created, it did not look like this lush place. It was barren basically, because nothing would grow until Adam prayed to God for it to reign. So that God created the world, but he needed our cooperation in order for it to become the thing that was considered this perfect self-sustaining. So, and that that, you know, like God doesn't need us to believe in him. Right. But he makes us so that we are drawn to want to please God or that God force by proving it through prayer. And of course, the whole thing about prayer, God created Adam. He breathed life into clay or earth yeah. And he said, let there be light. And there was like that in the power of words. Well, this yeah. is a Very interesting thing. In the power of words, God created something out of nothing. Right. And I just learned recently that the word abracadabra, like yeah. when a magician says, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. He's saying out of words, I am going to make something that didn't exist. It's an Hebrew expression that used to be saying the letters that made up the name of God, like we call God Hashem, which is the name, because you're not supposed to say his name out loud. Abracadabra is a variation of the letters of the word of the name of God. So it's like Avra or something. So when the magician said Abracadabra, he was saying like a Hebrew word that said, if I use words, I can create something out of speech. And so when we say, when we make a commitment, when we say a prayer, we are actually trying to create something that don't don't say the words then it just exists in our head. And it's not a three dimensional thing. When it comes out, it's the same thing as God breathing life into Adam, it's the same principle and that we are co-creators. It's a very empowering thing. So, you know, this is why becoming more educated about my religion, like my wife is really, Hook line and sinker, and and an observant Jewish woman. Right, and I am like fascinated with you know I have tremendous intellectual curiosity about how this all works, but I did not grow up believing things that kids that go to religious school their whole lives believe.
0: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so for me you know, sometimes I feel like in these corny movies where the bank robbers hide out in Pleasantville and then yeah. in in staying there, they realize that they yeah. really like being there and they, yeah. you know, they, they don't want to be criminals anymore because yeah, they live yeah. around people that all do the right thing, you know? And, um, and that, and that there's no better place for somebody like for me to hang out. So right. I've watched generations of these little kids grow up and become like these beautiful examples of, of people that haven't been tainted by the, yeah. The world, they don't watch tv yeah, yeah it's like 12 or 13 boys and girls they don't touch each other but there's no casual sex or anything boys learn to respect women for who they are and and they are inherently considered more spiritual than men because they love god they get that right and that they become the center of the of the jewish home and the man who's kind of a knucklehead He's given all these things to study and learn because he can't, he doesn't know how to take care of himself without all the structure. Yeah. And it's the woman who's the soul of the Jewish home that enables him to get his shit together. Right. You know, and a man and a woman are put together, not because they're exactly the same, but because they have the ability to teach each other the lessons in life that they need to become together, what they wouldn't have been if they stayed separate. All the concepts are just beautiful, just beautiful. And I think most people don't even know any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so there's so much richness that comes from an old fashioned way of looking at things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, wanting to be humble and not blow your own horn was a mark. You know, my parents, you know, they my yeah. father, you know, was a, a, a. he didn't fight in World War II, but he he got out of training just when the war ended, just the luck of the joy, just like I basically yeah. didn't have to go to Vietnam because I was of college age and had a high right. enough number. But God knows, I don't know what would happen with me. I needed to become a sniper or yeah. like Audie Murphy. And like, you know, but I would have, you know, it would have messed me up pretty good to have to go to war. But, you know, the point is, is that, you know, my my dad was a hard working guy who believed in the American dream. And, you know, he, he didn't brag about who he was. He worked hard. He loved his family. Maybe he didn't say, I love you as much, but, you know, you didn't doubt that he loved you. Right. But, you know, it's a different time now. And being humble is not, you know, people now feel like with social networking, it's like everyone has a voice and they just, you know, they've confused a voice with an opinion that, that is bu- built on something other than ego or yeah. anger or something like that. And, you know, talk about echo echoes out in, in, you know, in the vapor, yeah. man, there's so much bad shit going on out there because everyone thinks they have a right to say, whatever's it was the first thing that pops into their head.
0: So let me, um, we're going to have to wind this down. So what, I, I knew you were the perfect person to talk with about this because mm-hmm. I knew that you were mm-hmm. just as passionate as I was. So again, Definitely. kind of for our listeners around either coming in and just having any sort of feeling of like being on the outside.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's a possibility or mm-hmm. being a f- having to sort of detox the the religion of their youth. Do you mm-hmm. have any sort of words of encouragement sure. suggestion or suggestion?
1: Definitely. Um, you know, I don't think anyone gets into the 12 step program by mistake. And I also think that people who have really strong feelings in the negative about religion, they still have strong feelings about the idea of a God. So they got something to work out, you know? So like, it doesn't really matter. We all belong here. There's, there's a place for all of us. And like they say, better to identify yourself in than to compare yourself out. And, and that's like the cost value thing. If, right. you, if you're in a pro 12 step program, look at the value of trying something new so you can get some experience in it rather than look at what it's going to cost you. I'm going to have to give this up for the rest of my life. No, you don't have to do it for the rest of you. You just have to do it for today. You know, so religion in and of itself is a non-issue. You know, your, everything you learn, if it's built on the idea that you're pretty sure you don't know, the difference between your ass and a hole in the wall when it comes to staying sober or staying abstinent. And that it's kind of like turn your will in your life over anything that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. and, and you will start there and learn. Yeah. And that it's, and, and this is the safest place you could be for that. Yeah. Because nobody cares what you're going to believe in. It could be a door knob, it could be a thing, it could be a person, you know? Right. But you'll learn, you'll get a sponsor and you'll learn to build trust in that relationship. And that person will help you build relationships with other people and it will grow and you'll plant things and they'll grow. And all you got to do is pay attention and not pick up the first, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's what I would leave them with. So
0: yeah, that is a perfect ending. Thank you so much.